I enjoyed that. Even with all the extra notes, I enjoyed that. That was good. You could not make me try to play the harmonica in front of people. So, anyways, very good, very good. Psalm 13 tonight, Psalm 13. Some of you may notice we've cut out a couple of songs. The reason for that is a couple of, uh, couple of reasons for that. I want us to have plenty of time to fellowship tonight and not feel like we're rushed to get kids home to bed or anything of that nature. And plus, Brother Dub threatened that if we went long, he wouldn't be able to stay because he's got to get on the road tonight and be in Colorado tonight, and I want him to be able to eat with us, all right? So a lot of this has to do with Brother Dub because I like him. And Brother Birdo's nervous. He's wiping the sweat off of his head back there. You're still recovering, aren't you? Yeah, he's glistening. All right, he's not sweating. He's glistening. That sounds effeminate, but oh well. Psalm 13 tonight is where we're going to be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, we are thankful uh, for that cleansing uh, stream that you've made available. God, we're thankful for the salvation that we're able to enjoy. I'm thankful for the fellowship we're able to have as a family. Uh, tonight, I pray that you'd bless that time together. I pray that you'd bless the effort to preach your word, that you'd use it to speak to our hearts. God, I pray that it'd be an encouragement to someone who may, may need it tonight, who may need it uh, in the near future. God, I pray that you'd help us to hold on to this. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This evening, I want to begin with just a thought that I know is somewhat repetitive. I know that I've shared this over the years. But uh, I like to watch sports on TV, and my favorite sport to watch on TV is football, and then after that it would be something on the History Channel, and then some things on the Learning Channel, and, and uh, the Velocity Channel. There are just certain shows that I like to watch if I've got the chance, and, and that's what I enjoy doing. And my viewing pattern, or my viewing habits, stand in a very sharp contrast to what Susie and the girls like to watch at our house. And so I've shared with you in the past that the girls and Susie really enjoy watching Hallmark movies. And one of the types of movies that they really enjoy watching on Hallmark are the Hallmark murder mystery movies, I think is how you pronounce that. And so they enjoy the Hallmark uh, murder mystery movies. They enjoy watching the new ones when they come out. And every once in a while, I get wrangled into watching one of these things. It's not something that I enjoy. It's not something that I set the DVR to because we don't own a DVR. But if we did, I would not set it to record that. Uh, I just I don't enjoy these Hallmark murder mystery movies for so many reasons. But one of them is this. The plot never changes. I mean, truly, it never changes from beginning to end. It is different faces, a different location, different names, but everything is identical by way of its plot and by way of its storyline. And so here's one of the things that you will see in every Hallmark murder movie. You will see someone who is obsessed with finding who the killer is. They are driven by that. That is what they are consumed with. That is what they must know. They cannot rest. They cannot sleep. They cannot eat. They cannot enjoy life until they know who the murderer is. 
In addition to that, there are always missing pieces that they just cannot quite come up with. They can't understand this. There's missing a piece over here, and and there's something not right over here. And, And so they're going throughout this movie as if we don't know how it's going to end, trying to find all these different pieces and put them together so that they know who the one is that committed the crime. And with all of this information not yet available to them, The person grows more and more frustrated, more and more irritable, more and more consumed with what it is they are doing. And then in every Hallmark movie, this happens. That one needed piece of information is discovered. And once that one piece of information is discovered, everything else begins to fall in place like it ought And as that one little piece of information falls into place and everything else begins to fall into place around that, it's amazing what happens to that character that was so driven, that was so consumed, that was so passionate. However you'd like to describe them, they now have a total different countenance or attitude or outlook about them. So I'm just telling you right now, if you've never watched a Hallmark movie, that's basically how it's going to go. A crime will take place, someone will be consumed with it, they'll not have all the pieces, they'll get frustrated by their lack of understanding only to get that one piece of evidence they need, then everything falls into place and they're a much happier person at the end and life couldn't be better. It's weird that Hallmark can actually look some, something like life. What I mean by that is this. I think sometimes what I see in this storyline or this plot line in a Hallmark movie happens to us, or at least it should happen to us, though not from the murder mystery aspect of things, okay? Someone says, well, what are you talking about? Well, in Psalm 13, you probably know this already, but if you look there under the heading of Psalm 13, it probably says something like this, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. And so we understand that this psalm was written by David. And so though there is nothing that would lead us to a specific time frame in David's life as to when this was written, what it appears to be is a psalm that was written at a time in which Saul was pursuing David in hopes of killing him and taking his life. Well, how do we know? Well, if we look there in verse number 2, Solomon asked the question of the Lord, How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? What does it mean for someone to be exalted? It means this, to rise up or to be risen up or to be lifted up. And so what it appears as though David is saying is this to the Lord by way of a question is, is how long is Saul going to be over me? How long is Saul going to be lifted up over me or risen above me? How long is this situation going to be as it is. If you look there in verse number 4, he said this, Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. 
And so again, this would seem to fit at a time in David's life when Saul was pursuing him because he says of his enemy that the enemy could possibly say that he had prevailed or that he had conquered uh, over David and that uh, those that trouble him would rejoice or be glad when he was moved or destroyed. And so here is David and he's going through a time in his life where it seems like Saul is pursuing him, Saul is getting the upper hand, because there were many times in that whole cat and mouse chase, so to speak, that it did appear as though Saul was going to be victorious, right? And David did not have the privilege of just knowing what was going to happen in the future by way of circumstances. And so you can understand that there were times and there were moments in the life of David where it looked as though Saul was getting the upper hand. It was certainly a time in where uh, David's life where he would have said that the enemy would have been rejoicing to see them destroyed or to see him uh, uh, prevailed against. And so as all of this is happening... In verse number 1, I want us to consider a few more questions that David asked. He asked of the Lord, How long wilt thou forget me? How long wilt thou forget me? What does it mean whenever he asked the question, How long will you forget me? Well, it doesn't mean this, that David thought that God had forgotten about his existence. But the idea would be something like this, For someone to be ignored or for someone to no longer act like they care about your existence. Now think about the boldness of the question of David to God. God, how long are you going to ignore me? As the enemy pursues, as the enemy seems to be triumphing and exalting themselves over me, God, how long is it going to be that you ignore me, and God, that you act like you don't care about me anymore? Now, why would you ask such a question? Because obviously that's the way David felt. Generally speaking, we don't ask questions that we don't feel like they need to be asked, right? All right, so here is David, and obviously he feels somewhat ignored, somewhat rejected by God, as though God doesn't care about him anymore. And then he asked the question after that, forever? I mean, really, Lord, how long is this going to take place? I've got enemies pursuing me. They are being exalted over me. They are near prevailing against me, and they would rejoice, those that trouble me, if I am moved or if I am destroyed or if I am wiped out. So God, how long is this ignoring thing going to last? How long are you going to act like you're not remembering me or caring about me? Is this going to go on forever? He goes on to say in verse number 1, How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? What does it mean to hide the face from? It means this. Basically, I'm not going to give you any attention. The idea would be something like this. You and I trying to get a hold of someone and it being very obvious that they were not concerned about us getting a hold of them. Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to get a hold of someone and you could tell they were ignoring you, that they were avoiding you, that they were dodging you? It's not an enjoyable position to be in, is it? You can at least nod your head like, yes, that's happened. I'll tell you this, as a pastor, it happens. You know, you text them, and if you're texting them about the sports event, you know, they'll get right back with you. You text them and you say, hey, I missed you at church. It's like crickets. And, and it's like, well, they don't want to text anymore. That's, 
kind of how it works sometimes. So you can just tell that there are times you're getting blown off and that people don't want to talk to you. They don't want to give you any attention. And so here is David, and he says, Lord, how long wilt thou hide from me? How long are you going to not give me any attention? In verse number 2, he asked the question, How long shall I take counsel in my heart, having sorrow in my heart, or in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? What is David explaining here? It seems as though David is explaining this. God, on a daily basis, I am having to deal with this sorrow, and Lord, I am constantly reminded and forced to think about this or to dwell upon this. So he says in all of this, in verse number 3, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Consider and hear me. What does it mean whenever he says, Lord, consider and hear me? It means this, listen to me. God, listen to me and give me some attention. It's like you're ignoring me. It's like you don't care about me anymore. It's like you're hiding from me and you're not worried about giving me any kind of attention. God, this is something that I'm dealing with on a daily basis. It's something that I'm struggling with by way of sorrow on a regular basis. God, I am asking you to just consider and hear me. God, pay attention to me. Listen to what I'm saying. Oh, Lord, my God. He said in verse number uh, 3, Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He is saying, Lord, this is going to kill me. God, this is going to destroy me. God, I need something from you. Do you sense in this psalm at all that David is somewhat distressed over the situation he's in? Well, obviously, we couldn't read the text and be honest about it and say, well, you know, Daniel just, or David says, sounds like a, a normal guy with a normal day. That's not at all what it sounds like. David is distressed. He is struggling. He is hurting. He is having a hard time in life. Now, I want to ask you something this evening, not as though I need to ask the question, but I want to do it so that maybe we'll think about this for just a couple of moments. But I want to ask you. How many of us, though never pursued by an enemy who sought to destroy us, how many of us have ever had those days where we were in a sense of deep distress? <laughs> it happens, doesn't it? And I don't know about you, but a day of distress doesn't really cause me to respond somewhat dramatically. But when it becomes a pattern or a way of life, that's when it does seem as though I get a little bit more dramatic or animated in my thought process. Have you ever been there? All right, some of us have. So I want to ask you this evening this question. How many of us have ever felt like the Lord was ignoring us? Oh, Brother Kyle, no, no, no. Most of us have been there, have we not? God, in the midst of this ongoing stress, God, in the midst of this ongoing situation, God, in the midst of, uh, of this turmoil in my life, in my family's life, whatever it may be, God, in the midst of all this, I am praying and I am praying and I am praying, and Lord, it's as though you're ignoring me. 
Have you ever wondered in your mind, at least for a moment, whether or not God even cared about your situation? Like apparently he's not too worried about what's going on in my life right now. You know, I think if he cared, he would have responded a few months ago. I think if he was too worried about this, he would have done something by now. Have you ever been at a place like that in your life? Because I know for me, though not correct in my thinking, I get it, there have been times in my life that I have basically said to myself, God must not be too worried about this, because if he was, he would have done something by now already. And so when it seems as though God's not moving and God's not acting on our behalf, there are times that we say to ourselves, at least some of us anyways, there are times that we say to ourselves, God must not care. He must not be too worried about this. It seems like God is ignoring me, or maybe we might say it like this. It seems like God is avoiding the whole subject. I keep praying about this. There's no answer. I keep mentioning this. There's nothing happening. This is going on. This is going on. This is going on. And we say to ourselves something like this, God, is it ever going to change or is it going to go on forever? I think there have been times that some of us would have to say something like this. We've been carrying this burden and we've been carrying this sorrow on a daily basis. You don't exactly remember when it began in your life. But looking back, you can't remember a day without it. I've been carrying this burden. I've been carrying this sorrow. I've been carrying this anxiety of the flesh, whatever it may be. We feel this sense of sorrow and we feel this sense of burden sometimes on a daily basis. And what do we want God to do? I don't know about you, but I want God to give me some attention. I want God to consider me, and I want Him to hear me, and I want Him to lighten my eyes so that this doesn't destroy me. God, give me some understanding. God, give me some illumination. God, give me some kind of direction in all this, because I am tired of carrying the burden on a regular basis. Here is David, and he is being pursued by his enemies. He is dealing with all the stress. It seems like God is a thousand miles away, not responding to anything that David is saying by way of prayer. And he is saying, Lord, I'm just asking, show me some attention. And again, while the specifics are different, I think every adult and probably some of the young people in our church could say, I've been there. I've been there. Now, as all this is happening, and it leads to frustration on our part, I want us to notice in verse number 5 what David says. In verse number 5, this little piece of information begins to come to light. And he said in verse number 5, But I have trusted in thy mercy. I've got enemies pursuing me. I've got an enemy who wants to destroy me. I've got an enemy that has risen up against me. And they would rejoice if I was gone. And, and God, you have forsaken me, it feels like. God, you are ignoring me. God, you don't care. God, you're not worried about what's going on. I've been crying unto you. Give me some attention. Show me a little bit of love, whatever it may be. And as all of this is going through his mind, it's like he has this one little bit of information given to him. And he is reminded 
reminded of this truth, wait. I have trusted in thy mercy. Well, what is mercy a reference to? It's a reference to the goodness and the kindness of God. So what does it mean to trust? It means this, to place all of your confidence in something. And so it's like David is reminded of this one simple truth that he says to himself, hold on, hold on, I remember this, I've got this. I chose to trust in the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of the Lord. Wait. God is good. God is merciful. Hold hold on, hold on. God is kind. And way back when, that's what I chose to put my trust and my confidence in. And so notice is that one little piece of information comes to his mind. Everything that was in the past begins to soften and begins to lessen. And you see a change in his attitude and his outlook and his countenance because he said in verse number 5, after he said he had trusted in thy mercy, he said, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. You notice what he said, I'm going to rejoice in thy salvation. What is salvation? It's deliverance. It's a rescue. God is going to bring me through this. Now, this is so interesting if you think about this. What David writes in verse number 5 is in the future tense. What is he now doing? He is now anticipating the salvation or the deliverance of the Lord over his enemy. Why? Because he remembers, hold on, I put my trust and confidence in the mercy, the goodness, and the kindness of God. So what is God going to do for me? He's going to deliver me. He may not be hearing me, or I may not feel like He's hearing me right now. He may not be moving the way I'd like for Him to be moving right now. But, but hold on, I just remembered, that's who I put my trust and my confidence in. So that tells me He will deliver me and He will save me at the appointed time. Well, David, where does such silly confidence come from? David, where does such a, a positive outlook come from all of a sudden, almost immediately? Well, notice what he said in verse number 6. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. He hath dealt bountifully with me. It means God's done me good. When? He said, he hath. That's past tense. I can see this isn't really communicating with all of us right now. And that's okay. But he said, I'm going to sing to the Lord. Because he will deliver me based upon my past experience with him. See, he's been good to me. He has been bountiful with me. He has been so much better to me than I could have ever imagined or could have ever deserved. And so based on past experience, whenever he remembered that he had trusted in the mercy of the Lord, he said, you know what? My heart 
can rejoice in thy salvation, future tense. Now, I want us to see this. Between verses 4 and 5, nothing changed by way of circumstance. It's not as though between verses 4 and 5, the enemy dropped dead and was no longer able to pursue him or rise up against him or prevail over him. The only thing that changed and the only thing that shifted was the thought process of David. When he remembered, wait, I put my trust in the goodness of God. Okay, my circumstances haven't changed whatsoever. God's going to deliver me. Well, David, how do you know? Well, just look how good he's been to me. And based on how good he's been to me, I can rejoice and I can sing knowing that God will take care of me regardless of what the circumstances may be or what my emotional struggle may have been, say, even in the last few minutes. You see the, the, the thing that happened in David's life? One little piece of information being brought to his attention and it changed everything by way of his outlook. Now for just a moment, I promise you for just a moment, I want us to think about this. We've all been in moments of distress, have we not? We've all had moments where we've been struggling, we've been wrestling with our emotions, we've been wrestling with our attitude, we've been wrestling with our spirit. So many things have been happening in our heart and mind. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And, and we are so burdened by that. It is it's something we dwell upon on a daily basis. And as all this is happening in our personal lives, I think many of us have had these moments where it's kind of like, wait. Wait, where is my trust at? What is my confidence in? Oh, wait, it's in the Lord and His mercy and His goodness and His kindness. And don't you know, I mean, by way of personal experience, I trust that you do. Don't you know the joy that comes in remembering that one little piece of information? Because here's what happens when we remember, oh yeah, I trusted God. I put my trust and my confidence in His mercy and His love and, and His goodness to me. <laughs> what was I thinking? Of course God will take care of me. We've had those moments, right? Why, I have. One minute I'm kicking rocks and I'm down in the dumps and I'm frustrated and I'm, I'm bothered and I'm saying, Lord, aren't you ever going to do something? God, haven't you heard me? God, won't you show me some attention? Then it's like, well, do you not remember who you serve? Oh, oh, yeah, I do. Okay, Lord, you're right. It's going to be okay. And where does that confidence come from? Well, when I'm honest, it comes from me just looking back at the past and seeing how faithful God has been to me over the years. Would your testimony look anything like this? I think that it would. I trust that it would. I hope that it does. So we can all have those moments in our life where, where we're distressed and we go, oh yeah, it's going to be okay because I serve a good God and, and I can look at the past. But you know what's going to happen at some point in the future? We shall be distressed again. 
It's just going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen for any of us. You may be in it right now. But I can promise you, whatever your last distress was, it wasn't your last one. You will have another season of distress. Where it's weighing on you, where you're heavy, where it's a burden, where it's a daily situation, you're going to feel like God is a thousand miles away and God's not responding and you just want some attention. You want some kind of movement on His part. And guess what? It's not going to happen. At least not in your time frame or in my time frame. Now we've got one of two options in that scenario. We can continue to fix our attention on everything that is wrong. Or we can be reminded of a wonderful piece of life's puzzle. Wait, dummy. I trusted in the Lord. I trusted in His mercy. Back 30 years ago, I gave my heart and life to Christ. He saved me. And, and, and <laughs> Come on, man. Why are you struggling like this? He's going to take care of me. You realize this, that when the next, next distress comes, you can either continue to focus on everything that's wrong, or you can take that one piece of the puzzle and you can say, wait, I trusted in the Lord and He's going to be good to me and I know it because He has always been good to me. Even when I didn't deserve it, even in ways that I didn't recognize it, God's always been good to me, so therefore God will always be good to me. And if we choose to give our attention to that one piece of the puzzle, it will change our attitude and our outlook and our spirit and our countenance in ways that it's obviously needed. Do you agree? Amen. So this evening, I, I do. I, I want this to be an encouraging message. I don't know if it's encouraging or not or, 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 or where we're at, but I, I want this to be an encouraging message that we can know God will because God always has. Now, if God had failed us in the past, we would need to stay in a constant state of distress and despair because we wouldn't do too good on our own. But because God has never failed us, we can rejoice and we can sing knowing that He will always be good to us. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I don't know what every person in this room is dealing with right now. Some may be at a very good time in their life. Some may be struggling with certain things. I don't know. But, Lord, I know that all of us will struggle. And Lord, I know that I haven't said anything new tonight. I know that I've not said anything that we've not heard before. And probably all of us have said these very things at some point. And yet when it's us going through that moment of distress, that time of distress, it's amazing how quick we forget your faithfulness. So God, I pray that tonight you'd help us to remember that one simple truth that we can rejoice and that we can sing because you will take care of us because you have always 
taking care of us. And there's not much we need to get too worked up about. I pray that you'd bless the invitation tonight, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.